Good morning and welcome to Worship at Hillhead Baptist. Um, we are delighted to be hearing this morning from Joy Ransom, our outgoing BMS mission partner. Please do stay um, after church to share a tea or coffee and to meet Joy. Um, in family news, we've once again had a, a few folks with COVID this week. So um, just it, it's more just to be aware than anything else um, and to, to keep a wee eye out for each other. Um, if anyone is stuck in the house for whatever reason due to COVID, please do get in touch if there's anything that we can do to get stuff to you, get do we food shop or whatever. We're more than happy to help. As I mentioned last week, um, there will be a meeting of West End Acts on Tuesday at 7.30 at Wellington Church. Um, I'd love to hear from anyone who would be interested in being our representative to this group of local churches. Please grab me today or send me a wee email um, if you want to volunteer to do that. Um, our midweek conversation group this week is taking a wee break and instead we're experimenting with having a face-to-face -face gathering on Friday evening at 7pm. Um, that will be at uh, Brian's house at 6 Lancaster Crescent at 7 o'clock this Friday the 26th. Um, Brian says to tell you not to bring anything and he will supply some nibbles and cake. The coffee club will meet as usual at 10.30 on Wednesday at Esquire House in Annie's Land. And next week we will all meet here as usual in the hotel and uh, I will be leading worship apparently so we'll, we'll see how that goes. Um, <laughs> these are all our notices. Thank you Holly. The flame of the energy of God is lit again in the sacred ground of this, our world. The life of Jesus has walked our earthly way and declared our humanness to be a sacred place. The Spirit sows seeds of love amongst us, building a home for all.
40 years, our church has, in prayer and with money, supported what was the Baptist Missionary Society and now is BMS Mission. Our church makes annual donations, responds to appeals, and 34 individuals in our congregation are members of the BMS birthday scheme. And every week, the BMS prayer diary forms part of our prayers for others. But our support is much deeper than that. 130 years ago, the first BMS missionary candidate was commissioned from this congregation. During the subsequent 100 years, 15 members of this congregation were commissioned for BMS work overseas. And during that 100 years, there was not a single day that passed when a member of Hillhead was not on active service with BMS. Two of these members worked in Nepal, Winifred Anderson and Stuart Little. Stuart was commissioned from this church 40 years ago this year and worked in Nepal as a dentist. It's great that he and Pirio are here this morning, having made it, I think, on the last ferry from Orkney before the storm. Um, and Stuart will shortly lead us in the Lord's Prayer in Nepali. And for once this morning, it suggested that rather than saying the Lord's Prayer together as we normally do in our many languages and versions, we should simply listen to it being spoken in Nepali. And so this morning, it's within this context that we're delighted to welcome Joy Ransom to our church. BMS has for many years arranged for individual missionaries to be linked with groups of Baptist churches to be their mission partner. And a number of years ago, we were delighted uh, to be linked with Joy as our mission partner, especially because she was working in Nepal. Um, We've all been kept up to date with Joy since then, with reports which have been published in the key. Joy, we welcome you here this morning. Add to Holly's welcome to you. And we look forward to hearing of your work in Nepal and, as it happens, your imminent retirement. Let us pray. And in the presence of God, we call to mind that we aim to be people of faith, 
who live in community, locally and globally, moving towards a common dream of a new heaven and a new earth. In the power and love of God, we move. In the company of Jesus, we move. In the enlightenment of the Spirit, we move. We know that this type of community, whether in this city or in Nepal, is costly. It asks of us vulnerability, trust, commitment to others, accountability, the giving and receiving of forgiveness and faithfulness. We aspire to all these things and more. Sometimes we succeed, sometimes we don't. In the presence of God, we reflect on that now. We are always the broken body. But the word to us is that in Jesus, we are made whole and enough for the task. Thanks be to God. Hey, Hamro Peter, Joswargama Bosnunta, the Paiko Nal Pabitrahos, the Paiko Raja Aus, the Paiko Icha, Swargama Jostota, Teste Espritirima Purahos, Hamilai Aja, Hamro Dainik Bojandinos, Hamra Apparat Chama Gornohos, Josri Hamile Pony, Afna Apparatil Harulai Chama Gorekachau. Hamilai pari parichama parna nadinos, taradust bata chutaunos, kinabane raja parakram rahmaima sawasarda tapaikaihun. Amen.
you so much for inviting me to come and join you today. It's wonderful to be here in person this time. You've seen me from the waist up. I've brought my legs today, so <laughs> I do have legs. And wow, 140 years that you've been supporting BMS. That's pretty amazing. Thank you so much for your support, not just for me, but for BMS over the many, many years. And for those that you've had personal contact with too. Thank you, it's really appreciated. It's been great to partner with you for the last few years and I know that you have had information and have prayed and that has made such a, a difference to us in our work in Nepal. I think that um, you've heard of this magazine. Uh, there are some out there, feel free to take one. This one's got um, photos and a report about our work, uh, which I think you've all read. If you don't get it sent to you, it's free. Take one of these and you can sign up and get it every time it comes out. Okay, well, I uh, don't know what you like doing at school or what subjects you like. Some people like science, some people like art, some people like... What do you like doing at school? Can you tell me, what's your favorite subject? Maths, brilliant, great. And what about you? Uh, oh, he's shy. <laughs> Maths as well, brilliant, okay. Well, in maths and lots of subjects, you have to do problem solving, don't you? And one of the things that I was trying to encourage our teachers in Nepal to do is to introduce problem solving. So I thought today you might help me with one of the problems that we faced. We'll see how your problem solving skills are. So if, if you've got a problem, the first thing is to find out as much about it as possible. So our problem was that we realized that some of our students in our schools were not attending school very often and were not achieving very well. So we wanted to know why. And one of the things we realized was that the school was so far away. So here's me trying to keep up with some of these students heading up the hill. They have to walk an hour and a half, so they go like this up and then down and then up again to get to school. So that's a bit of a problem. How do you go to school? Do you walk? You walk, but I bet it doesn't take you an hour and a half, does it? Maybe 10, 15 minutes or so, and then you're at school. Yep, so a bit different. And maybe it's okay if you're walking on your own, but imagine you've got to drag your little sister or your cousin along with you. Not quite so easy. And if it's been raining and there's a landslide, then it's not easy either. So there's a mum carrying her wee boy uh, across the landslide so he can get to school in time. So not quite so easy. And some people are trying to build roads, and here some villagers are making the road up to one of our schools, but it's going to be a long time before a school bus or a taxi gets up that road, isn't it? Okay, so let's imagine. All right, we've got a lot more people over here, but never mind. Okay, so are you ready for school? It's 8 o'clock. School starts at 10. You've got your school bag packed. I want you to have a great day at school. I want you to study hard. And uh, you've had your rice. So this is what you've had in the morning, dalbat. You've had your takari, your vegetables, and you're all set. And in case you get hungry on the way, I've brought you some noodles so you can share those with your friends. You don't have to cook them, so don't worry about microwaves and stuff. Um, so you'll be fine. And I'll see you when you get back. Don't get lost by the river. Stay together, okay? You guys, uh, yeah. I've just come in from the fields. Sorry, so i am been a bit rushed. Haven't been able to make you any rice. But I want you to get ready for school. And I'll tell you what, you can have some tea, nice sweet tea and some, maybe some biscuits. And I want you to have a really good day at school, okay? Study hard. 
Now, you know your dad's working in the Middle East and he's not sent any money this month, so I'm sorry, I haven't got any money for a snack. But I really want you to have a good day and I'll see you when you get back, okay? So this family are a wee bit like this boy. So here that you've been studying hard at school in the morning and now it's break time and he's opening his packet of noodles just like that. They're called YYs in Nepal. Uh, but maybe you guys over here are a bit like the guy in red. His friends are opening their snack and he's looking longingly. He's maybe hoping that the boy in the bowler hat's going to share his biscuits, uh, but maybe not. So who do you think had the best day at school when you came home? This family or this family? Yeah, this family, I'm sure. Uh, maybe you were a bit like some of these students in the afternoon. Um, oh, how do I go back? There we go. Uh, the teacher's trying to read a story and they're not listening, they're not concentrating, but I think they're tired and maybe they haven't had enough to eat. So maybe you can concentrate in the afternoon. So that's the problem. Children can't study well because bad roads and no transport takes a long time to get to school. School's too far away, takes an hour and a half or two hours to get there. Poverty, parents can't feed their family and there's no school lunch. Okay, two minutes, chat to the person next to you. How would you solve that problem? Maybe you can join in with someone over there. Two minutes, what would you do? If that was your problem, what would you suggest? Have a go. Okay, lots of chat going on, well done. Okay, let's hear some of these suggestions. What would you suggest? What would be the best thing that you could suggest that could solve this problem? Some suggestion, yeah, what do you think? What would you suggest that we do? Not sure? School dinners, great, do you get school lunch? Yeah, brilliant, okay, so school lunch would be a good idea, well done. Anything else? What else could happen? Brilliant. So instead of the children walking to the school, the teachers go, okay? And that did actually happen in COVID when the kids couldn't come to school. The teachers went to their, like, uh, choke, they call it, the gathering, gathered all the students together and uh, did some teaching. So that did happen then. Not, not often, though, not normally. Good. Any other suggestions? What would you do? Zoom. Zoom, yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, there's, they don't have Wi-Fi. They don't have uh, internet or um, computers. But yes, it would be great, wouldn't it? And some schools did try that in, in lockdown. Brilliant, thank you. Well, we thought this was a pr real problem that we have in Equip, and we thought of some solutions too. Build better roads. Well, that would be ideal, but if you could see the terrain and the, lands the landscape in Nepal, it's not easy. The government is building a lot of roads at the minute with money from China, but often in the monsoon, it's so steep and so wet that they get washed away. Not something that we could do, but we could encourage the government to build better roads. We thought about encouraging families to move nearer to schools, a bit of the opposite of what your suggestion was, uh, but that's not really ideal either, is it? Because how can they leave their village and their farms and their family to live near schools? Although some people do that, actually. They move to the town for better education for their children. Schools provide lunch, right? The young boy at the back got that idea, and that is what we suggested too, that it would be great if there was a lunch at school so they didn't have to rely, rely on a snack. 
And so we provided money for our schools so that they could provide a hot lunch for every child in their school. Some schools uh, employ a cook who comes and cooks the meal, and there's some boys enjoying that meal that the, the cook has cooked. And in some schools, the parents come in one day a week and cook and then clean up for the, uh, for the students. And we also thought if the families are very poor, like we, you couldn't even have breakfast or a meal before you go to school, then we should give scholarships to the neediest students. And that has made a big difference to helping students not only come to school, but to eat well as well. But yeah, difficult to know the right solution to these problems. So why, as a mission worker, are we w worried about getting children to school? Well, we believe that to show God's love to people on earth, it means helping them to have a better life. And it says in Isaiah, is it not to loose the chains of injustice, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor with shelter? And as we work in our schools to provide better education for our students, that is what we're aiming to do to show God's love. Thank you.
Today's reading is taken from Esther 4, 5 to 17. Then Esther summoned Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, assigned to attend her, and ordered him to find out what was troubling Mordecai and why. So Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate, and Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation, which had been published in Susa, to show to Esther and to explain to her. And he told him to urge her to go into the king's presence, to beg them for mercy and plead with him for her people. Havak went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, <clears throat> all the king's officials and the people of the royal province know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that he, is, he be put to death. The only exception to this is for the king to extend the golden scepter to him and spare his life. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that we have come to royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent the reply to Mordecai, Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa, and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. Thank you, Jenny, for reading the Bible passage. I think that uh, we live quite near each other now because I'm based in Dumfries since I came back from Nepal. 
That passage, I think, is quite familiar to us, and probably this is the most famous or most familiar verse, isn't it? And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. I love the book of Esther, but as I was getting ready to return to Nepal in 2015, you may remember that there had just been an earthquake which had devastated quite uh, a large part of the country. It was one of the biggest ones. I heard there was an earthquake there this morning, actually, 5.3. So it is very prone to earthquakes. But this one in 2015 was a very significant uh, earthquake. And many of my teacher friends in Dumfries and my um, family at church and friends suggested that I shouldn't go to Nepal at that time because it would be too dangerous and that the people there wouldn't want me to go after they just had an earthquake. And so many people said that, that I began to doubt for myself whether I should go or not. And this verse was very important to me at that time as confirmation that it was the right time to return to Nepal. I wasn't sure exactly what for, um, but I trusted that God had plans for me at such a time as this. And I think this is a verse that's not just a motivational verse for Christians, but it's a reminder, isn't it, that God puts us in certain places and situations for his purposes. Because although God isn't mentioned at all in the book of Esther, there's clear evidence of his divine purpose. Esther wasn't there by accident. She was uh, prepared for what she had to do. She'd been brought up by Mordecai as a good Jew, and so she knew her responsibilities to her people, and she'd been chosen by the king to be the queen. She was the only one who could save her people at that time. Uh, as Brian mentioned, this is my um, last phase of work with BMS. I'm retiring. I don't know what that means yet, but and I suppose at the end of my service, it's natural to look back over the 14 years that I've been with BMS in Nepal. And in all of that, I can see how God has prepared me and placed me in situations for just the right time, even if it didn't seem that way always. In 1989, I first went to Nepal to work as a teacher of missionary children with the United Mission to Nepal. In those days, it was common that mission workers arrived in the country not really knowing exactly where they were going to be placed, and that happened with me. I went to language school in Kathmandu, and while I was there, <coughs> the education director sent me for a week's orientation to Okoldunga, this place. It's a lovely word, isn't it? It's almost Scottish, Okoldunga. Um, and I remember crying a lot that week. It seemed such a difficult place to live. The journey was really hard. I went on a plane, but then it was five hours walk up and down the hills. And I knew if I didn't get a plane, it would be a five-day walk to the nearest road. It seemed so remote. I was going to be the only single person there in the project. There wasn't a schoolroom built yet. I had to organize that. Relationships in the team were difficult. Sometimes that happens, doesn't it, even in Christian circles. There were very few Christians in the church. The hospital had been destroyed by a previous earthquake. Seems I follow earthquakes, so I hope you're okay here <laughs> in Hillhead. Uh, the hospital, yeah, had been destroyed. The local Rai people distrusted the foreigners, and the pastor of the church was in jail. Uh, he hadn't done anything wrong except preach the gospel, and it seemed as a timid 30-year-old that it was too much. I decided that when I went back to Kathmandu, I would ask for another placement. And so, as expected, I went back to Kathmandu, and the education officer invited me into the office, and he said something like, I know Okolunga is not an easy place to work, but are you willing to go and teach the children of missionaries there? 
And I opened my mouth and I heard myself say, yes, I'll go. <laughs> so, and of course, uh, I scraped the archives for this embarrassing photo. This was taken in 1992, I think. And of course, I settled into uh, life in Okaldunga. I came to love the people and the place. I got my walking legs and I came to understand the culture. There were very few people in that village who spoke English. And so, although I taught the children of missionaries in English, I had to speak Nepali every day. And the limited vocabulary I'd gained in a language school soon grew and I became much more confident at speaking Nepali. As well as teaching the children of missionaries, I also was able to teach in a local school and I learned how the curriculum works and how the schools are run. Uh, I even had the opportunity to help to set up a school for the staff in the hospital and the local village children. And I appointed and trained the first teachers and set up the classrooms. And little did I know that I would later be doing exactly that in my current role, my most recent role as a teacher trainer in Kiskiquip. But God was using that time to prepare me for the rest of my adventure in Nepal. In the 1990s, Christians were being widely persecuted in Nepal. It still happens today, but at that time, it was a very difficult time. And so we had to be very careful in Okaldunga what we said and what we did. And that was sometimes frustrating not to be able to witness uh, openly. The church was very small and we met in a, a little room hidden in the hospital because we were f afraid of persecution. And we heard of churches growing in other places, but in spite of our prayers, in spite of uh, speaking to our friends about our faith when it was possible, we didn't see the church grow as we wished. And I had great expectations of what I would do as a mission worker. Uh, I'd been sent by BMS, I'd been commissioned by my church in Aberdeen, I'd been supported, I was supported by faithful praying people like yourselves around the country. What was I doing in Okaldunga if God's kingdom wasn't growing? And I remember sharing that with a colleague and we prayed about it. And during that prayer, I realized that God was telling me he had taken me to Okaldunga not so much for what I could do for him, but for what he wanted to do in my life to bring me closer to be the person he wanted me to be. And sometimes I think that's true for all of us. We might have great plans, great ideas of how we can serve God in our church, in our community, and that's great, and God wants that of us. But often through the joys and the challenges of that, God does a work in ourselves, in us, and brings us closer to himself. And I believe that God was preparing me for, in many, many ways for what was to come. A few years ago, I had the privilege of going back to Okaldunga, and it was a delight to see that there's a new hospital. That Those are the red buildings down at the bottom right of the screen uh, with lots of solar panels on the roof. It's a, a great service, providing a great service to the people of that remote community. And the school that we started is still there. You can see it in the top left, the long yellow building with lots of windows, still providing an education for the children of that area. That was great to see, but most exciting was to see the growth of the church. So now the church has to meet twice a week because there are so many believers, they can't fit into the building. And their building is on top of the hill. So from hiding down in the hospital, it's now on top of the hill where everybody can see it. So what happened? How did that happen? And while I was there, I was able to find out the story. 
There was a very, uh, there was a person who worked in the hospital who was very anti-Christian when we lived there. And if anybody wanted to come to church or showed interest in believing in Jesus, he would persecute them really by saying that they couldn't have water from the tap and the community wouldn't support them at harvest time or in their fields. Uh, his son, who was educated in the school that we, were, we set up, uh, went to the Middle East to work, which is very common. And while he was there, he met a Nepali Christian who shared his faith with him. And he came to faith. So he came back to Nepal, went to Okaldunga in trepidation to tell his father that he'd become a Christian. And as he expected, his father said, if you're following that foreign religion, you're no son of mine, I don't want to see you again. So he went back to Kathmandu, studied to become a pastor, and met a lovely Christian lady who became his wife. But he kept in touch with his family. Whenever there was a problem, he was there. When the buffalo got sick, he went and prayed for the buffalo, and the buffalo got well again. And slowly, through that relationship with, uh, with his father, his father came to see that there might be something in this Christian faith after all. And eventually, he came to faith too. And when we were there, we went to church and we were invited to go to a baptism. We'd never been invited before. If ever there was a baptism, we were told not to go because it was too difficult. But there were going to be 10 people baptized in the river and we all went. And the first person to be baptized was the pastor's uh, grandmother, the last person of that family to come to faith. Because now that son is the pastor of that church that meets on top of the hill in Okaldunga. What a miracle. What an amazing miracle that God brought about. But we'd prayed for that for years. Why didn't God work? And sometimes God is like that. We pray for something and we want it to be done now, don't we? Because we're so impatient and it's so important to us. But God sometimes says, wait, and he does it in his perfect time. And I've had to rely on that and trust that God's timing is perfect so many times over the last few years in Nepal. During COVID, we were all impatient to get back to normality. I wanted to get into schools. I was preparing this training. I'd only just started my teacher training work. And it was frustrating not to be able to get on with it. But I had to trust that in God's timing, it would happen. You might remember that I've been working on some phonics books for teachers. And the publisher was going to have them ready for the new school year in March this year. And they weren't ready. And we had no communication with the publisher because he refused to answer my phone calls and emails. That was frustrating. What was happening, we didn't know. But I had to trust that in God's timing, it would happen. Just before I left Nepal, I had a few weeks in Kathmandu. And during that time, the publisher called me. He invited me to dinner to his house. And so we were able to restore that relationship. I don't know what the problem was, but we are now in communication and he has promised that he will publish the books for next school year. So I had to trust that in his uh, good time, it would happen. For the last four years, I've been living and working in Basi Sahar in Lamjung. It's a very beautiful place. We can see the mountains when it's clear. But it's not an easy place to live. It's very wet, very uh, hot in the summer. This is the road to one of our schools. I was wishing I'd got my Wellington boots on this day. Uh, and it's, uh, all our schools are up on top of the hill. And so it's very tiring to walk to them. This is me looking very tired and hot. 
crossing one of the bridges on our way to one of our schools. Uh, there are very few foreigners there as well. In fact, during COVID, I was the only white person in town uh, because everyone else had left, and that led to lots of interesting conversations and friendships, which was great. But God had prepared me well for living in that place because I could speak the language, because I knew the culture, because I loved the food. I was able to become part of that local community quite easily. And I felt very supported by my neighbors, by my teachers, and by my church family, and also able to support them too. In difficult times when we have floods or earthquakes, we need each other. And many times over the last few years, I've come to realize that not only had God prepared me to live and thrive in that community, but he had a reason and a purpose for me to be there at that particular time. During COVID, a neighbor's son, Ayush, had online classes. Not many schools were able to do that, as I explained, but his did. But they didn't have Wi-Fi. They couldn't afford it. And so Ayush, who lived just over the road from me, came to study on my porch every day. His classes started at six, so I had to be up in time to give him a glass of milk and a banana, and he was there until 11 o'clock every day. So we got to know each other really well. He liked to bake cakes, and sometimes we would cook banana and chocolate cakes were his favorite and in my kitchen, and he loved to eat them. He and his little uh, brother called me Auntie, and I know his mom really well. One day, they came back from church to find that Ayush's father had disappeared, and they had no way of contacting him. They still have no contact. They don't know where he is or why, but he left huge debts and no money to pay for food and education. So in an instant, their stable, happy life had disappeared. What were they going to do? Ayush thought he'd have to leave school because there was no money to pay fees and he needed to earn some money to feed the family. Normally at such times, family members would step in and help, but their family have not even spoken to them since they became Christians. So there was no help coming there. What options did they have? People here would have some options, some support, but how could they survive? Because I'd been there, because I'd got to know them so well, and because I live so close, uh, we were able to spend a lot of time together. And together we talked, together we cried and prayed, and we managed to work out a solution to keep the boys in school. The youngest son, Aros, is only two, uh, and, but he had to start school, which is not ideal, but his mum needed some time to earn some money. She's a tailor, a tailoress, and so she brings uh, sewing into the home, and while the boys are at school, she can sew to make a little bit of money. And there's even the possibility that they might be able to make some money selling the cakes that they learned to make in my kitchen. So I believe I was there to help them for such a time as this. When I arrived in Lamjung, I decided to visit all of the seven churches in town before I decided which one to stay in. But on the first Saturday, I went to this church. It was much smaller in those days, maybe 15 or 20 believers. But I felt so welcome and so much at home that I stayed. The church had just got a new pastor. Uh, that's him in the neon shirt. He's not a shy, retiring person, isn't our pastor. Uh, but he has a real understanding of how to disciple new believers. He has a vision to lead a church of 200, 
with two pastors. That's quite a vision from 20 uh, believers. But we're already seeing the first steps of this vision happening. And we had 12 new believers baptized and join our church recently. And one of our young people has just completed theological training to become our second pastor. So that's great. But such a vision has practical implications. The building is too small and it's prone to flooding. Uh, and so while I've been in Lamjung, I think one of the reasons I was there has been that I've been able to channel some money from friends from my church in the UK to the church so that they can rebuild the wall uh, to stop the flooding. The pastor and the young people were in the river building it themselves to save money. Uh, so I don't know if Katrina would have done that when she was your pastor, but Isaac and the young people did it. And they've built this outdoor kitchen uh, and a meeting place, which is a great addition to our church. Food plays an important part in our, all our church celebrations. Uh, and so this is a great place where we can celebrate birthdays and weddings and share food together. And I think it's been such a privilege for me to have been there to support the pastor and his family, to pray with them, to reflect with them as they move forward with this vision. And it's been such a joy to be part of this vibrant, believing church. And they have been my family when I've been in Nepal for such a time as this. My work in KISK EQUIP, EQUIP stands for Education Quality Improvement Program, and that's what we aim to do, is to improve the quality of education in our partner schools. And we work in different projects, but in Lamjung, in Basi Sahar, where I am, we work with 15 village schools. Most of my colleagues travel out from Kathmandu to provide training three or four times a year, but I live there all the time. My training has been in uh, problem solving, training for nursery teachers, training in grade teaching, and training in phonics, which is my passion. But I think that my main contribution to the work of EQUIP has simply to be available, to hear of the problems, as we thought about earlier, that our teachers are facing and helping them to solve them. You may remember of a time when I heard that the students in the hostel were cold at night because they didn't have blankets. And one said, if I'd brought the blanket from my home, my family would have been cold. So she couldn't bring the blanket. So I thought, well, I have three blankets at home, and I'm sure others have spare blankets they could give. And we asked our friends in Kathmandu, and we managed to get 52 blankets. So those students had two blankets each to keep them cozy as they studied. Or the time when we set up recently some computer labs in our schools with BMS donations. But as I visited the schools, I realized that um, the teachers were not really confident in using computers themselves, so how could they teach their students? And as I realized that and shared that with my equipped colleagues in Kathmandu, we found a computer school who had students who wanted to do an internship, and they went out and lived in the village and taught in the village school for a month. And so the teachers learned from these students. This, those are those two. Uh, you can see in the picture the two students from Kathmandu. Our teachers learned as well as the students. And so now they're much more confident in teaching IT. And we thought, didn't we, about the feeding program and how important that is for our students. They say a picture set tells a thousand words, and this is one of my favorite pictures. Tell me what you see, what can you see? What words would you use to describe this picture? Just shout it out. Uh, 
What can you see? Bare feet. Bare feet, great. Anything else? Two children. Backpacks, great. Smiling, yep. Good. A little bit shabby, eh? clothes a little bit dirty. If you'd been there, a little bit smelly as well. Let me tell you the story of these children. I was leaving a school and walking back home. I'd been working with the teachers in the school that day, and I met these two children on the path. They'd been at nursery class, and so they were leaving a little bit earlier than the rest of the students in the school. And I got talking to them, and they told me that they were walking home uh, to their village. And I knew that their village was 40 to 50 minutes walk away. They were on their own. That wouldn't happen here, would it? But it's very common in Nepal. Uh, but they told me that, yes, they liked school because the teachers were kind, and they get to play with the toys in the nursery class, which Equip had provided, actually, and taught the teachers how to use them. Um, but the best thing about the school was that they got lunch. So seeing, oh, and they showed me their backpacks. The, they said that the bank, local bank, had just donated backpacks the week before, so they were pleased to get a backpack. And I asked them to show me what was in it, but they were empty, but they had a backpack, so they felt very proud. But seeing that they had no shoes and no school uniform and no books, the next time I went to the school, I asked one of the teachers uh, to tell me about them. And he told me that the students are from the Chepang community. That's a low caste. Uh, you've maybe heard of Dalits, a little bit like the Dalit community. Traditionally, they are nomadic, but they had settled in this village. And normally, they wouldn't send their children to school. It's not part of their cultural expectation. Maybe the children are needed to work in the fields. But since uh, the families heard that the school was providing lunch, they've all started sending their children to school. And so now there are 18 Chepang children enrolled in that school, which is great. And whatever the reason, they are there and they're getting an education. But the teacher said, it's so difficult to teach them because they have no uniform, they have no pencils, no notebooks, and no textbooks. How can we teach them? Uh, it's very formal education in Nepal, and so maybe not for the nursery children, but for those in higher classes, they would definitely need those things. So once we heard of this need, uh, we were able, through EQUIP, to provide uh, three scholarships for the Chepang students. Although it's only three, that has meant that um, three families are able to send their children to school and to eat well. And the next time I went to the school, I was able to take some pencils and notebooks for the teacher to hand out to those who didn't. But if I hadn't met those children on the path, I wouldn't have known of that problem. So I, the right place, being in the right place at the right time, meant we were able to help. Equip has been working for 15 or 16 years in schools uh, rural schools in Nepal, and we've been going through a time of reflection and thinking about how we can improve our work. And that's been a great time for me to be part of that team. Uh, we've been thinking about how we can um, be more effective when we're in projects, how we can mentor uh, teachers who are going to continue the training when we leave, and also about the importance of having trainers like myself based in the projects. Because teachers find change very difficult. For example, when I'm doing a phonics training, I bring all the teachers together and we spend some days together learning about how phonics can help children to read in English. 
Uh, and at the end of it, the teachers get very excited and are enthusiastic. And they think, yes, we can do this. But the next time when I go to visit, maybe the next week in their school, it's very difficult. And they say, well, it's not on the timetable, so we don't know when to teach phonics. And we need the other teachers to understand about phonics too, because if I'm teaching phonics and then they go to another class, the teachers won't understand. And when we send the children home saying, ah, 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 apple, instead of A, B, C, the parents think we're crazy. So we need the parents to understand as well, and we need some resources. So hearing that, we help them to solve the problems. We've provided whole school training so that all the teachers, even if they don't teach phonics, at least understand the importance of it. We do parent seminars so that the parents know why phonics is important, and we've provided resources for them to use. So the right place at the right time. Let me tell you about two of the people that I've worked closely with in Equip, Krishna and Santona. Krishna, along with Dil, who's the head of the Equip program, are supported by BMS. Uh, their salary is paid uh, through your donations, so thank you very much. Krishna is the uh, coordinator for our teacher training uh, program, and he's an English teacher by background. Maybe because you will not be able to support me in the future, and you probably know that BMS is uh, having fewer people from the UK working overseas, but is partnering more with local leaders and with national leaders. So it's possible that you could support Krishna and Dil or, or Dil uh, and have a link with them instead of a mission partner from the UK, if that's something that you would like to think about. Uh, recently, Krishna did an interview with someone in BMS and his story was written up by Hannah and it's on the BMS website. It's called Six Hours to School. It's really interesting. Check it out. Santona is the English teacher trainer uh, for Equip and she's passionate about providing an education for all, including girls. But although she'd worked as an English teacher, she'd never heard of phonics. And neither had I until I came back from Nepal after my first term in 1996. And I was teaching uh, in near Dumfries, and I had to learn how to use the Jolly Phonics program that had just come into schools. And I realized that it really could help all of my students to read. And I also realized it would be really good in Nepal if someone had the time to rewrite it for the Nepali context and culture. During COVID, when I couldn't go to schools, I had time. And so I was able to use that time to write, rewrite the program for Nepal. And Santona was a great help to make sure that the stories in the books would be easily understood by Nepali children. And she became interested in phonics too, especially after her son started to read through phonics in his progressive school in Kathmandu. And we've since worked on several trainings and follow-up visits together. She's very able and competent. She's also very strong. You can see her here carrying some of our reading resources to one of our schools. But isn't God's provision amazing that to bring us both together in the same place at the right time to work and to develop that phonics program? And that leads me to my last point. What about the future? What does for such a time as this mean for me as I leave Nepal. Can I say that it's God's time for me to move on? How do you know when it's time to move on? 
there's always more that could be done. Ideally, I should could have stayed until uh, Equip's project in Lamjung is completed next March uh, and come home then, perhaps. Perhaps I'll be able to continue to support uh, the work of Equip from the UK. I've got some resources that I'm still writing, a research project that I need to finish. Perhaps I'll be able to visit Nepal when there's a need to support our trainers or our schools. There will be a closing farewell program, celebration of all that we've achieved in the Lamjung project next February, and I'm really hoping that I can be there for that. But I've handed over most of the work that I've been doing to my colleagues. Uh, Santona and Krishna will continue the phonics, I know that. And the secondary science teacher trainer has taken on the nursery teacher's training. It's not his passion or his skill. Uh, he doesn't really want to do it. And so we really need somebody who's experienced in preschool teaching who can take on that program. Perhaps you can pray about that. But I know that the work of EQUIP will continue and not only continue, but will expand and flourish because EQUIP, the team are committed and the work's in good hands. But more satisfying is to know that it's in God's hands because God's timing is perfect. He prepares us and then places us uh, for a specific time in a certain place for his purposes. And then sometimes he moves us on. We may not know what the future holds, but God does for such a time as this. I think we're going to uh, have a time of prayer uh, for the future of EQUIP. But for those of you who would like prayer points, these are some that I'd like you to concentrate on. Thank you very much. our prayers for others. This morning we include prayers for Israel and Palestine and part of that is guided by a vigil that was held by Christian Aid this week. So let's pray together. The psalmist writes, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who dwell in it. So we come to God with our prayers for others and for each other. Almighty and loving God, throughout history you have called people to respond to your challenge and to follow you. We thank you for all those down through the generations who have heard your voice and responded in faith 
and we think of those we have known whose discipleship has been an inspiration to us and who have given us an example of what it means to live and walk in faith. Today we have been challenged and inspired by what we have heard and seen of Joy's years of service with BMS in Nepal. We thank you for all the young lives that have been touched as she has shared with them her experience and knowledge of education and the value of it. We thank you for the equip team in Kathmandu and we pray for them as they seek to enable students to reach their potential through excellent education. We pray for the smooth completion of the work in Lam Jung and for new projects in other parts of the country. May the team have the resources they need to face this challenge. We pray for joy in all the changes of moving back to Scotland, that she may have wisdom and guidance to discern what lies ahead. And Lord, we pray for ourselves that each one of us, however young or however old, may be open to your plans for us and be ready to serve you just where you place us. As we think of BMS, our prayers this week for them are focused on Albania, where BMS has worked with the Albanian Baptist Union for 30 years. They rejoice that there is now freedom to worship and witness to Christ, and we pray for the thousands of Albanians who have been influenced through youth camps, food banks, Tech Ura, a charity reaching out to vulnerable people. May the seeds sown bear, sown bear fruit in your kingdom. Nearer to home, we pray for our sister churches in the Baptist Union of Scotland. And this week, we think of Renfrew Baptist Church, Resyth Baptist Church, Rutherglen Baptist Community Church, and Samura Abdullaya, who's the finance assistant. May they all experience you working out your purposes in their lives and communities. And as we think of communities around the country, we pray for all who have been affected by Storm Babette, families without homes, homes without power, those living with fear and anxiety about the winter ahead. Draw near to all who are struggling and may they find help and support as they seek to rebuild their lives. God of all justice and peace, we cry out to you in the midst of the pain and trauma of violence and fear which prevails in the Holy Land. We pray that this crisis will end now without further loss of life. We pray for the injured, 
their suffering and for those who mourn their loved ones. We pray for all who have been displaced, those who have lost their homes and have nowhere safe to go. We pray for the powerful, the decision makers, who can choose to act for peace. May they follow paths of justice, mercy and compassion. We pray for those who are most vulnerable, remembering your call, Lord, to help the bereaved, the stranger and the orphan. And we pray especially for children caught up in the violence, that they may know safety. May all those in chaos and turmoil, all who are restless and troubled, know your calm, your tranquility, your quietness and your peace which passes understanding. God of peace and justice, hear our prayers. In Jesus' name. Amen.
so we go into the world filled with wonder of the power of God for good. May the whole earth be filled with songs of hope, trusting in its true source of life and filled with awe as it recognises its comforter, its maker and its friend. Amen. We go to love and serve the Lord.